Welcome. You have found the show we call Real Men Don't Cry, or do they? This is a podcast for men, and on this show, we will hear real-life stories from men about how they have navigated the complexities of being a man in this modern day. We are going to look at the boys don't cry way of thinking and how that has influenced them and how they have risen above societal pressures to be true to themselves. The focus of this show is men's real world experiences, not just ideas and theories. I hope that you will learn from what they have discovered and use it in your life as well. Let's get into today's show. Right, welcome to another episode of Real Men Don't Cry or Do They? I'm Brandon Archer, and today I have Christopher Brand with me. This guy comes out of nowhere into my social media world, and right away I'm like, I got to talk to this guy. And we this is a this is quite a few months ago now. This is before I started the podcast, and I'm like, damn, this guy's story is so good. So. Christopher, would you mind, first of all, welcome. Thanks for taking me up on this. No, no, thank you for having me. This is really cool. Yeah. And do you mind just like introducing yourself, sharing what feels right for you to share with people? Yeah. I mean, um, as far as it, I found your uh, Instagram page from following another uh, life coach. So kind of fell into it and just was following you as it, but um, me personally, I'm 50 years old. Um, I live in Houston, the Houston area, um, originally from Oklahoma, but, um, I've been in federal law enforcement for 26 years now, almost 27. And, uh, I worked on the border back in the nineties. And then, uh, after nine 11, I joined Homeland security, moved up here Been working here ever since I've been all over the world doing a bunch of different stuff um, in that aspect. So I have a lot of perspective from at least that uh, that atypical type mindset kind of thing. And uh, But the biggest, my biggest hurdle that I reached was, uh, or stressor that I went through was that I was an experiencer of uh, domestic abuse. My wife was, uh, my second wife actually, um, the, the, over 11 years, it started out, you know, roses and everything like that. And it started deteriorating and such. And then it came down to a night where she chased me out of the house at gunpoint, uh, fired a shot as I was leaving the house. Um, I was literally stripped down to wearing basketball shorts, barefoot, no shirt. Luckily, it was into September, so it was still warm. Uh, went about a mile and a half to find somewhere I could call for help, ask for help. Got the police involved. She was arrested. She got two years probation. And uh, I almost lost my job from the whole process. And so um, it has a lot. To, I mean, obviously, domestic abuse is a big issue. And um, from a male standpoint, it's almost, you know, it's obviously un unheard of. So in my process of healing, that happened back in 2018. And so in my process of healing, that I've gone through different modalities and different ways of trying to deal with it from not dealing with it to self, you know, self-medicating with food and alcohol and risky behavior and all that other kind of stuff um, to actually seeking out help, learning and growing. And then I got to a point where I feel pretty 
pretty healed, but uh, I start to recognize it in other men. I can start, you know, you start talking to other guys or you see these, and it's not just necessarily that they're going through some abusive type situation, but they're going through somewhere where their emotional needs are not being met or they're not feeling complete or they're not feeling connected. And that's kind of what led me in a roundabout way to follow, start following your Instagram was uh, like, how do you help? That was my question is like, how do you help other guys? You see you guys go through it. And I don't know that my particular way of learning and healing would work for everyone, but I see these guys and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And we're not doing anything. So uh, yeah, that's why I reached out to you. And I was like, how do you like, how do you reach out to the people? How do you find, how do you say, you know, like, Hey, let me help you without, you know, it and be successful at it, you know? So that's, I guess that's a lot. That's it in a nutshell, I guess. Dude, people that are listening to this are just like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. No, yeah. and it's great. You know, I appreciate your honesty and your openness. Um, you know, your intro, your introduction, you're like, hey, this is my life. This, to me, is that vulnerability and openness mm -hmm. that we need to hear as men. It's, it's oh, sure. kind of why I started this podcast. Like, yeah. We just need to share our stories because mm -hmm. I know we're at a similar stage in life, similar age or the exact same age. And we've lived enough where it's like, nobody talks about this shit. So you think you're the only one going through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny too, that I, I told you, I listened to your podcast, the one of your previous podcasts, which kind of get a feel. Uh, that gentleman that you spoke with, I mean, yeah, I could see parts in his life that, you know, echoed my life and and he's definitely a lot younger than I am and I was like man and I think even at one point you were like dude if I was able to examine my life at your age at that going you know yeah so much difference yeah 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 I, Will's I figured... 35 mm -hmm. he's 35 like 35. can you wrap your head or like as we're both fit uh, mm -hmm. approaching 50 or we are 50 it's like you know, it took some catastrophic shit for me to look at my life and figure oh. stuff out. He's doing oh, yeah. it like more than a decade before me. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, it's in some circles, it's called like a dark night of the soul. Some yeah. catastrophic event where you lose everything and it makes you reevaluate. And it's kind of a, an ego death in a way. I mean, you're not actual dying, but you're actually, you've lost it all. And you're like, how did I get here? What did I do? And yeah, I think also too, I think our programming from our childhood helped, helped push it off, you know, where we were lying to ourselves and, and not wanting to face those issues. And I do think that's something about the younger generations. Now they seem to be more in touch with their feelings or it's okay to kind of process stuff. So it's okay to talk to it and come to those um, decisions sooner than than uh saying no that's that can't be happening to me you know that or I, like you said i'm the only one i must be the anomaly i gotta be you know can't do all my other friends yeah yeah man you you keep bringing up these things i'm like which thread do i pull which thread do i pull <laughs> i want to like quickly touch i want to get back to your story but i want to quickly touch on something you said about you know will's age mid-30s um, because I had a conversation with a, a coach, which I respect, and he's, I think he's early 30s, but this guy, like, okay. he's on point. Okay. And I asked him a question. I'm like, hey, 
um, what age group are you attracting? And he's like, that's irrelevant. And I'm like, well, no, it's actually not. It's actually not. It's like, it's about transformation. I'm like, I agree with you, but here's the reality. We're both 50. Mm-hmm. There's some blocks that somebody in their 30s, it's less. The blocks mm-hmm. are less. Oh, yeah. And I think we should talk about, you know, childhood and, and our fathers and our grandfathers and, and where that came from. Because, you know, somebody in their early 30s might be like, what are you old fuckers talking about? <laughs> yeah. That's not a thing. But that's that's the exact point I was trying to make to this this coach. It's like, where's the guys in their 40s and 50s digging in? Yeah, you're attracting guys in your 30s. There's there's something there. Mm-hmm. There's something there. Uh, bah, I don't even know where to go with that. Um, well, again, think? I think, yeah, I think the, the 40s and 50-year-olds don't realize it. They don't think about it until they've lost everything, until they get to that. They, they don't realize that there's a... Um, they don't really realize along the way that you can actually say, no, this isn't right. You know, this to feel this way or something like that. I mean, even with just feeling bad, just with feelings, we're not supposed to feel bad that that was a thing, you know? And so you got to pu- push through it. You got to muscle through it, you know, rub dirt on it, whatever. And I mean, I was, my marriage was 11 years and yeah. at the beginning, it wasn't what I thought it was, you know, what it was going to be. But you know, quickly on, I started seeing red flags that I should have put in place to stop. I should have just put the brakes on. Had I been more control of myself, I would have put the brakes on. But it affected me. It affected my children. Um, I didn't have any children with her, but my relation to my kids, I call it, I, I, I call it my villain era because I supported her and her kids when I should have been supporting myself and my own kids. But I didn't know to mm-hmm. do that because I had that old programming of, you know, this is this is the cards you've been dealt. You play those cards out. You made these decisions. You made the bed, so lie in it. And I tried. I did the best I could, you know, and it wasn't until it got to dire circumstances. And I think a lot of guys our age do that. You know, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what, you know, I don't know any better. I, you know, that kind of stuff. So. And it's not until they, again, lose everything. And then it becomes their fault because they've been self-medicating with alcohol or some other process and their life is destroyed and in shambles. And um, they only start asking for help once they've lost everything. And there needs to be a way for guys, guys our age saying you don't have to get to that point. You can ask for help and you're not weak. You're not a loser. You know, that kind of stuff. That's yeah. my opinion. <laughs> no, you're right. You're, yeah. you're right. It's not just an opinion. I think it's right. Nah. <laughs> so why, what, what were you modeled about how to be a man when you were a kid that got you to that point, that way of thinking? Well, that's the thing is that my parents met in the seventh grade. And they were together their entire lives. When they passed away, they passed away, both passed away in 2012 within seven weeks of each other. And so as far as the nuclear unit, you know, husband and wife together through thick and thin, you know, 
that was the initial modeling of at least that part. And then, so here I am in seventh and eighth grade looking around going, all right, who's, who, who am I supposed to link up with? Who's, who am I supposed to, you know, and that didn't happen. Immediately felt like a, a failure. And so I just stacked it on. And my interpersonal relationship with my dad, it was good. He was a, he was a good guy, but he was, you know, he's an older generation. He either raged or was quiet. And of course he was, he was one of the funny guys in the room too. So he, he was able to get a lot of people to like him and stuff like that because he had a great sense of humor and stuff. But at home, like, you know, it was like, I, I don't have time for that. I don't want to hear it. You know, that kind of stuff. And then, Oh, do you need to talk to your mom about that? Do you need to, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, is, you know, those kind of things, you know, are you, are you going to cry about it? Do you want to go talk to your mom? Should you go sit in the kitchen, you know, and learn, which, you know what? Actually I did too. Like my mom taught me to cook and taught me how to do, you know, basic life building skills, which actually is invaluable. But, uh, you know, I was made to feel a bit ashamed of that, that, you know, I'm some kind of mama's boy or something like that, you know? And, uh, you know, and I was, let's see, I was 20, I was mid late twenties. Um, in the border patrol, I was taking down, uh, traffickers, drug dealers, um, you know, child trafficking that we talk about now that that was still, that was literally going on at that time. I was taking down big loads of people and telling my parents about it. My dad's like, still not tough enough to take your old man. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm like, okay, all right, you know. So stuff like that. I mean, it was just, it was, that was that. And then the thing is, is that I didn't realize until I'm much older in life that my parents, they, they, they had anxiety. They, they were afraid a lot. There was a lot of fear-based movement and stuff. And my dad was a firefighter for 11 years. Um, after that, he became a, a oil and gas producer, self-made, you know, businessman, successful. But uh, they still dealt, dealt with fear. And a lot of decisions they made were fear-based. And instead of processing that or even telling their kids, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to get through this. I don't know how this is going to happen. They would make something up. My dad did not want to appear weak or unknowledgeable or ignorant or whatever you want to say. He didn't want to appear that way. So he would always drum up something. And um, I didn't find out until, again, when I'm older and I'm like, wait, that that didn't quite jive. That didn't make a lot of sense, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, seeing my parents as regular people that were just, just trying to make it the best they could. And, you know, there was things that we just didn't talk about. We didn't talk about finances at home. You know, the kids aren't, you're too young. You're not supposed to know about finances. You're not supposed to talk about this or that or the other. And they almost had a whole secret life that they lived outside the kids. And so you kind of did that too. And that was the thing is when I was going through my problems, instead of talking to my spouse about it or anything like that, I engaged in secret stuff, you know, and tried to get my needs met without talking to my partner. And that led to the end of my first relationship or our first marriage. So, you know, it, it's stuff like that. It's just, um, it's hard to say, it's hard to put like a finger on it, you know, cause I've, and I hear stories about guys talking about time with their dad and my dad had this philosophy and my dad did this and I didn't have that. Um, but he was making the way the best he could. And I didn't understand that now, you know, cause he was my superhero still like he was like, 
you know, he's six foot tall and, you know, 250 pounds and, you know, that kind of guy. Like I said, firefighter, you lifesaver, the whole thing. And uh, so that, and then, you know, he's my hero, but at the same time, he was like my biggest critic as well, too. So it kind of sucked. Yeah, man. I can hear in your voice a lot of love for him. Uh, yeah, and see, you know, that was another thing, too. When he passed in 2012, uh, I found him. I found him in his apartment. Um, we had an argument on a Friday night, and um, typically, didn't, you know, I didn't call him for a couple of days, and then I started trying to call him on Monday morning. Couldn't get a hold of him. And uh, I had helped him get into his apartment. I had to move him down because he had health issues. My mom had, back in the 90s, she had an aneurysm that left her pretty much like a vegetable, about 30% of her operating capacities. So at that point, he started taking care of her completely, and he let his own health go down. So for 17 years, he took care of her solely when she needed, you know, actual medical care. He took care of her completely and um, at the expense of his own health. And then they had a bad accident. I found out about it. It's just me and my sister, the two siblings and, or the two kids. And I moved him down from Oklahoma down to Houston. I'm like, all right, I'm taking over now. This is me, you know, and I moved him into an apartment because my wife wouldn't let him stay with us. This is my second wife, the, you know, number two. And, um, I moved to an apartment and two months later he had passed. And so mm -hmm. I had to break into me and the uh, maintenance guy, the, the apartment maintenance guy, broke into the apartment and found him so you know that's that's a lot man that's yeah. a lot to experience yep you know you shared something about your childhood and your dad referring you to mom when you were showing emotions mm -hmm. and then being shamed later for being a mama's boy who who was doing that shaming that was him I mean, that was, I, I even took a little bit of a pride in having a good relationship with my mom and having conversations with and stuff. So, but the minute I showed any kind of pride or something like that, my dad, and I think that came from his past programming that I couldn't be too prideful in anything. So I had to be knocked down a few steps. So there always, it was a backhanded compliment or just a straight out critique, you know, that kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it kind of sucked. So, but it didn't really um, influence my relationship with my mom much. But it, you know, it was just one of those things. Those little barbs that that stick in the back of your head and kind of, you know, be that way or whatever. You know. Yeah. Well, when your superhero is also shaming you, that gets mm -hmm. tricky, right? It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a confusing message. It's like, well, wait a minute. You just told me to go to mom, and now mm -hmm. you're giving me shit for going to mom. Because you didn't know what to do with me, yeah. You know, it's it's hard for a, a teenager or a, a boy to get that messaging True. from his dad. Hey, I have a I have a question that mm -hmm. is just intriguing me. What did you know your grandfather very much on your dad's side? No, no, he passed when I was really young. Um, he was a diesel mechanic. That kind of. Um, I didn't know much about my dad's side of the family because my dad had not a lot to do with him and his, his, uh, opinion of his mom was not that great. 
And uh, so I never referred to her as grandmother or anything like that. She was Joanne. That was, I was oh, like, interesting. Yeah. And, um, and then some of the stories that he told me were direct levels of an abusive relationship and that she would take it out on him as well because he favored, I think he was the oldest boy and he favored his dad almost in looks. They almost looked exactly alike. And, um, and Joanne couldn't stand it. So he was, he was punished a lot just for being who he was. So here we go with the generational <laughs> patterns, right? Right. Like, <laughs> you know, cause you kind of, you kind of stepped into that. Oh, I'm just going to repeat the pattern of, mm -hmm. You know, yeah. perhaps your second wife was more like your grandmother and you didn't even know perhaps you were choosing that. That's a really good point. Never put two and two together because that was one of the things towards the end of the, that relationship. Um, my relationship. Uh, she lost her job as an RN uh, for stealing the meds from her patients. And then she had like, they did a random drug test on her and there was four prescription meds in there that in her that shouldn't be so mm -hmm. and then i remember my dad telling me there was a lot of uh of substance abuse with his with his mother too so it's real interesting that you you picked that point are we going to turn this into a therapy session well <laughs> hell yeah let's do it well see here's the thing man i don't think we ever talked about this before but um, trauma and epigenetics is a real goddamn thing. And your grandfather's choices and wounds, you carry that shit. So if mm -hmm. he was predispositioned to seek out women like that who came from his lineage, you can't, it, it, this, is, this is like proven data. And I did not like hearing this when I first heard that I got to deal with my previous ancestors' garbage. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? I got enough of my own to unpack. I got to unpack right. theirs too. Right. But it's subconscious. Right. It's subconscious. So you may have, I'm not, I, I'm not, I can't like tell you that that's what happened with, with sure. your second ex-wife, but the similarities are a bit eerie. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that was the thing is that I was always attracted to, um, well, both my, my exes are nurses. So I was attracted to the, um, caregiver. Well, the caregiver, but also a very, I would say a very capable woman, like a, a, a woman that like didn't need a lot, you know, that seemed to be able to function on their own without much direction or anything. What that wasn't too needy. Um, but at the same time, they were kind of, you know, power, power forward thinking, <laughs> I guess the yeah. best way to trying to be, euphemistic or at least kind in the way I was referring to it. So. so by choosing women like that, did it mean you didn't have to own your masculinity I think so. and your role as a man? Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's probably a good, good way to look at it. But see, that's the thing is that, like I said, I was in, I've been in law enforcement for all this time. So my, I had a, like a outside persona, you know, of that, of, you know, your, Hard charging, high speed, low drag, tactical, you know, dude, I do that all yeah, the time. Yeah, man, on the outside, you're like mm -hmm. this, ma you're this masculine beast. Yeah. But in relationship, interesting so how it yeah, may not have correlated. Yeah. Well, because that, you know, think about that too. I was very quick to give my power away too, because um, 
things like my financial issues and stuff because I didn't take, I didn't make it a priority my financial stuff. So um, I would bounce checks or, or run up a credit card or something like that. And then both wives, I would turn the finances over to them. I'm like, you know what? You pay the bills. I'll make the money, but you pay the bills and I don't want to have to deal with it, you know? And both times that came back to, to bite me when the relationship was over. Um, because it's like, you know, here I am stuck and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to pay. I don't know what I have to you know deal with this stuff. I kind of had to learn that stuff all over again. And that is emasculating when you're, you know, see, I got divorced the first time I got divorced mid thirties. And, um, you know, I was like, shit, I don't even know how to balance a checkbook, you know, that kind of stuff. So this is a hard things to admit, you know? Yeah. I've heard that a few times from men that get divorced or, or the other end on their ex-wives uh, viewpoint is like, yeah, I did everything. And now he doesn't know how to do anything. It's pretty, mm -hmm. it's interesting that we give that power away. Yeah. Um. So what have you done to recover and find yourself? You know, it, it's funny. Cause like, um, the second go around, I knew I needed help bad because I was having severe PTSD and, but it was coupled with a lot of other stuff. Like there was not being able to mourn for my parents on top of the PTSD and stuff. I mean, um, I was convinced that because she was still going through her stuff. I was still, I was convinced she was still going to find me and hunt me down one day, you know? And, uh, I remember there was the, um, uh, the constable's office the night that she was arrested, they went to the judge and petitioned for a protective order. Cause I didn't even ask for that. Like, I was like, no, 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 I can still fix this. I can still, I can still make this out, you know, because I was worried about her kids and you know, how it was going to be and how it was going right. to, I was like, no, I can still fix this. And the lieutenant was like, man, you could have died tonight. I don't want to hear it. He's like, take the time we give you, get your shit and get out, you know? And, uh, he's like, it's not going to end well for you. And so they petitioned for the judge to get a protective order. I got like 90 days where she couldn't be around me for 90 days. And, um, so I had the whole house to myself. I could pack up all my stuff, take care of my stuff and then move out. Well, that whole time I never slept in a bed. I slept on the floor or slept in the dining room, slept under tables because I was convinced that she was going to come back and finish what she had, you know, started because she was so, um, unpredictable. And, and if she was living with her brother-in-law at the time. And in fact, his wife, my, my sister-in-law at the time would call me up and say, Hey, we lost her. She's gone. She was supposed to go pick don't up her daughter. Where she is. Yeah. We don't know where she is. And on top of that, at the, at the same time, because of what had happened, my agency took my badge and gun because I was involved in a domestic issue and you can't be in law enforcement if there's domestic issues pending. And I'm like, I I'm the victim here. So they're like, it doesn't matter. So they put me on the desk, the front desk. So and, she uh, might have had a gun, but you didn't have a gun. I didn't have a gun. I didn't have, okay, I'll back that up. I, it's Texas. I had guns, but I didn't have. <laughs> it's Texas. I, did, <laughs> I didn't have. You didn't well, have I mean, your. I didn't have you my didn't have your I didn't issued. have. Yeah. yeah. And on top of that, they took my creds. I've never lost my creds. I never, you know, I was never um, 
accused of any kind of wrongdoing or anything like that. So there was an identity there being law enforcement. Like I always had my creds, my badge, my shield, that kind of stuff. So they stripped me of that, stripped me of a way that my primary way of defending myself, what I saw is that. How was your uh, manhood tied up in there too? Well, I mean, I think that that's a, almost a rhetorical question because it was my whole manhood at that point, because, um, yeah, I was like, how do, what, what do I do? You know, because I didn't have a concealed carry permit. I didn't have anything like that. We didn't have the laws that we had now where you can, you can carry without a concealed permit in Texas. And, um, and, in, and in fact, I mean, I'm a firearms instructor. I'm a, I'm a tactical pistol instructor and tactical shotgun instructor. I mean, you know, um, but I didn't have access to my tools. I didn't have my access to my things that made me feel safe. Um, the first thing I did was petition the state to uh, become an, a firearms instructor for the state to start teaching the classes for concealed carry. Cause I felt like, Hey, I need to be able to, you know, cause I didn't have access to somebody at that time. I need to make it to where I can do that. That was somewhat of what I did to reclaim my power, you know? And right. The, yeah, and one of those things too was that I had to go find my guns um, because a lot of times when we'd had fights and arguments, the first thing she would do, and it's that whole isolating thing, was she would take the keys to my car, she'd take my wallet, she'd take my phones and my firearms, and she would hide them. Wow. And uh, and then proceed to you know because it was almost systematically in, in retrospect, it was almost systematic how she would be like you know, go and take and hide this stuff. So I had to go through the house and that was one of the things too. Um, in the process of going, trying to find my stuff is when I found her um, illicit materials and stuff like that, where she was using and, um, you know, I'm finding bags and bags and bags of hospital stuff, you know, mm. I'm like, this is, insane. and that was one of those things. I'm like, this is, this is a nurse Jackie episode. This is, this isn't, this is like not real life. This can't be, this has got to be an HBO special because this is nuts, you know, finding, I mean, the nightstand table was full of bloody cotton balls and tourniquets where she would shoot up and, um, no clue. Absolutely. In, in retrospect, I think I was being willfully ignorant of it because I was trying, right. I felt like I was trying to, to protect her privacy and maybe she'll protect my privacy. And, um, but that wasn't the case. I mean, I had no privacy and she was able to do whatever she wanted, but, um, but yeah, I didn't have what at the time, like I said, I didn't have the tools that I felt that I was used to protecting myself. And, um, go ahead. You had a, well, I'm just zooming out to now, like your story is epic and I really, honestly hope i know i know for a fact there's men out there going through similar things and they don't know what to do because there's yeah there's shame there's shame yeah. there's shame to shame. come forward or get help what do you do now to feel safe it's a different mindset now i really have uh changed in the process because you know like you said the the whole um the PTSD part, the, the stressors and stuff puts you in a loop to where you stop thinking. And that's yes. where you, it's that, what do they call it? Um, it's a reason loop or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but um, 
you just stop thinking because you have one stimulus and then you have this one response and it, you ruminate and you like, I should have thought of this or should have thought of that. And it's just this self shame spiral. Well, you're in, you're in, and you're in survival mode. You're literally correct, in survival correct. mode. Yeah. Your nervous system and your brain start yeah. a loop that you aren't, if you're not aware it's happening, it just mm -hmm. goes on repeat. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is that that's, and that survival mode's there for a reason. That's another thing too, is that yes, you are in survival mode and you are trying to stay safe and it still runs after you have been safe for a period of time, but you just don't know it. You're not allowing yourself to yes. feel that. Um, for it, like I said, for anybody that's watching, that's in that survival mode. Yeah. That that's perfectly okay to be in that survival mode because it is because it is serving you. It has served you. It's kept you alive to this point, but there's a time where you have to make a, a switch into that thrive mode to where you put that thing aside and you're like, I am safe. I'm okay. Cause that's the thing is that for the longest time, it wasn't until recently, she was still on my insurance. I was still paying for her and her kids to go see the dentist and, and, you know, for whatever, you know? And so there was all these different ties, um, to her that slowly had to be removed before I felt like I was not mm -hmm. connected to her anymore. We still live in the same general area, but, um, this is my third time that I've moved and I'm pretty certain that she doesn't know exactly where I live now, but. Um, and my apartment's a little bit more secure than I have been. I went from the, the low rent apartments and just kind of like jumped up to a little bit more places that I'm proud to be at and stuff. Was, um, so how do you, how do you, how do you make yourself feel safe now? Now, now it's a lot of introspective stuff. A lot of, I mean, I, I went, I'm into meditation now, yoga, spiritual yeah, practices. Yeah. You know. All that stuff. It works, man. It yeah, works. it works. It does. It does. It works. And there was a there was a literal switch that was flipped at one point, and I never thought it was going to be like kind of like with drinking. I was, I was, I thought I had a problem. I even went to AA for several months, thinking that you know this is the only way. Um, going to AA made me want to drink. It was it was not a really? place for me to be. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of, I kind of remember the story. There's a story about a, a guy who's in church and uh, while he's in church, his cell phone goes off and the pastor makes a big deal of it. And his wife chastises him about it and he just feels like crap and he leaves. And so later that evening, he decides to go to a local bar just to kind of have one. And while he's at the bar, uh, he knocks over a glass and the waitress is like, are you okay? And the bartender's like, dude, it's all right, man. You know, buys him another drink. They take care of him. People kind of slap him on the back. Hey man, it's cool and stuff. And he feels safe at the bar. So he never leaves that bar. So those areas that you go to, like with AA and stuff like that, you think of them as safe places, but because you, you might not have a great experience there, it might not be the place for you. It might not be a place to find your safe spot. You have to kind of find that it elsewhere. Is so fucking insightful. Yeah. So insightful. Yeah. Like the podcast you listen to, Will. Mm -hmm. Um, like he he's recovered and he he's yeah. totally open about it. And he I think he would probably agree with what you just said because yeah. he didn't he did work with me one on one and he he's like, I had no idea that this this is the stuff I needed. Yeah. Yoga, meditation, mm -hmm. all the things you just shared that helped <laughs> yeah. you recover, you just basically will backed it up. It's super yeah. fascinating. 
It is. It is. It's... You, but the way you the way you said that, I'm chopping that into a clip because that's powerful <laughs> for for people okay. with ad, uh, addictions. Yeah. I think it is. No, it, I I agree. Well, and there's actually there's a lady now. Um, I went back and forth with her through Instagram. She's created because um, you know I kind of I enjoy the tarot cards and the woo woo stuff. Now you know uh, all that kind of stuff. So she created an oracle deck that is for addiction recovery. And so it's an addiction recovery Oracle deck and it's, you go through the cards each day and it's a, it's letters of empowerment. It's not necessarily, you know, angel dust and, and rainbows and stuff like that, but it's words of empowerment and acknowledgements and, and stuff. And you go through it each day and it's really cool. And so I really enjoyed chatting with her and getting her deck and um, where I don't, that's feel a like great tool. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. It's, it is a tool. And um, so yeah, and I'm glad she it was able to put it. She was another person that was had um, alcohol issues and did not find a conventional way to to work for it. Me personally, well, let's put that or we'll put that link in the show notes to find okay. her because yeah, yeah, I'll I definitely think that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'd love to get you guys in, in contact. So yeah, she's a great lady. Um, but that was the thing is that I found because that's another deal with with drinking. People talk about anxiety. Anxiety for me was a form of sobering up. Like that was my hangover was anxiety, but I linked it to, well, I'm anxious. So a couple of drinks will take that edge off. And it was just a vicious circle that I got into. And it wasn't until I was doing Reiki and learning about energy centers and moving stuff through your body. And I'm like, I can't really do that when I'm hungover. I can't really do that after having a couple of drinks. I feel blocked. I literally feel my energy centers blocked. And so, you know, maybe I don't, maybe I shouldn't have any drinks right now because I'm going to do some Reiki in the morning or whatever. I don't want that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I would say gradually, but it was a, it was a quick gradual decided, like, I don't want to drink like that anymore. And I don't, I have two bottles of whiskey and a bottle of wine in my fridge right now that I keep for guests. And then I'm drinking, you know, like I don't, you know, the last beer I had was what I put in my chili when me and my girlfriend made chili the other night. So, you know, no, man. I, I, the way you came to that conclusion is amazing. And the, anx yeah. the anxiety is a message. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anxiety oh, is yeah. a message. Hey, yeah. Look at me. I need, we need to deal with something over here. Absolutely. Yeah. And, but it's also a physical response to your body having needs because your body has been assaulted with a chemical cocktail yeah. that has left you dehydrated and clouded thinking and all that kind of stuff. So the anxiety is another um, indicator that something else is wrong. You need to, you need to hydrate basic needs. That's one of those things too, that you forget when you are going through that survival mode is those basic needs of feeding yourself, staying hydrated, staying clean, you know, doing your laundry, you know, those kind of little things. And, and that's another like seal tip, you know, Navy seals are like, if you feel bad, if you're, if you can't function, at least make your bed. At least, you know, you get that yep. one thing done and, you know, but, and I agree with that to a degree, but I'll even go back just getting out of bed sometimes. Is, yeah, man. You got to celebrate that because for people that go through depression and stuff that again, that's another emotion that your body's telling you there's something wrong. <laughs> if you need to sleep all day, then sleep all day. You know, don't feel bad about that. You know, I just love that you brought that up because, man, I've had a dark night of the soul. I've had a way into my psyche where all my trauma comes just 
gushing out and it's messy mm-hmm. and sometimes you do need to sleep and i think it's important men hear this i really think it's important because a lot of the like teaching for men i'm, uh, I'm gonna uh, not throwing them under the bus but in your 30s you have this warrior energy i'm gonna fucking conquer the world yeah i get it but guess what? When you mm-hmm. need to rest, when your body and your nervous system is screaming at you, I need to sleep, you need to honor that. You don't necessarily need to push mm-hmm. through. So no. this is this is a word Agreed. of caution. Be careful at the information you're consuming because it can actually cause you more harm. If Absolutely. you can't get mm-hmm. out of bed, that's sometimes it's not the best thing to push yourself through to get out. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not though. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Well, and it's funny like that you were talking about, and I remember you were talking about that in the podcast too, that, that balance too, of like pushing yourself, but also giving yourself space. Um, There was a, there's a saying, and you can Google it on, or whatever the uh, um, demon hand and Buddha heart. It's never heard that. It's a it's a philosophy from Buddhists, um, Shaolin monks and warriors and all that stuff. But whereas basically, have a demon hand, which is main mainly have a capacity for violence, mm. but with a Buddha heart, you control that through compassion. And the compassion is also for yourself. That's another thing too. It is self love is paramount. I think that. That's what I found out that I had been looking for in a bunch of other relationships or all my relationships was I wanted that unconditional love that I didn't feel at some point. Yeah. And I wasn't feeling it is because I didn't have unconditional love for myself. And it wasn't until I had that for myself that I'm allowed to go and find that in somebody else. So that's another, you know, big, uh, we thought revelation that i had that, that but that revelation is so foreign to mm-hmm. to men I'm like what are you talking about i'm just doing i'm like i love my kids i love my wife i love everybody i'll share my story with self-love mm-hmm. um and self and self-loathing i could not look in the mirror and respect that guy that was looking back at me i i didn't know how that felt and the way i put it to people because men and women struggle with this, unless you can look in the mirror. And if you have kids, this makes way more sense. And you, you look at yourself in the mirror, you smile and you feel the same warmth as when you're talking to your kids and that unconditional love you have for them. You don't actually love yourself. Agreed. A hundred percent. And most people can't do that. And, um, I can tell like the, you know, this is a podcast and we are recording the video, but I can tell in your face and the way you emote, like you are a happy dude. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> yeah, agree. It comes, even though the story that you've just shared with everyone is like, what the actual fuck? You've done the work mm-hmm. to like get to a point where like, yeah, you know what? That shit happened. And I'm, I'm a good guy and I really like me. Yeah. Oh yeah, that uh, and it's funny you say that because uh, my fiftieth birthday, I threw a big birthday party for myself. I invited as many friends as I could or people I knew. I had T-shirts printed up with my face on it, 
Um, I had a friend of mine that had created a logo of my face. Um, I had, yeah, I still got a bunch. I'll send you one if you want one. Uh, <laughs> um, so oh, as medium, I had size medium, that, <laughs> size medium. Okay. I'll get you out there. Yeah. I had stickers made up. I have stickers, all this other kind of stuff. I went to this retreat a few years ago and they said, bring a water bottle. And I was holding the water bottle and she's like, is, is that your, is that your face on the water bottle? I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's me. You know? And, uh, I, I, I was walking downtown one time and I had the t-shirt on with my face on it. And a guy's like, is that your face on your t-shirt? And I'm like, yes, it is. And he's like, are you famous? And I'm like, well, I am to me. <laughs> and yeah. He's like, that's awesome, dude. So, you know, he shook my hand and stuff like that. But yeah, that I would have never done that three years ago, five years ago. No freaking way. I could not look at myself in the mirror either. Not to mention that because, you know, that's one of those things that I had from childhood too. I had a weight problem and I've always had yeah. weight issues. Um, I had weight loss surgery in 04, lost 80 pounds and put it all back on. Um, so that's something. So my personal vision of myself was not always good. Um, but that, you know, it is what it is now, you know, and, uh, it, I, I, you know, I, but yes, you're absolutely right. I really do have a lot of fun being myself now. That is like, that is one of my like personal joys is just goofing off and being me. So, <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to come see you one day, man. I, I, I have a, there's some people all over the States. It's like, we got to hang out face to face and you're on that list. So oh, I look sure. forward to that day. All right. Absolutely. Um, you know, you, show you, a great you time, bring man. up something really interesting. Yeah, man. Texas sounds fun. <laughs> I've never been there, but it sounds awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. And you can show me how to shoot guns. Never, sh oh, never sure. shot a gun oh, in my yeah, life. That's definitely, yeah, that's definitely going to be, I know that's kind of like a, it's like an always a bucket list for people who want to come out, but we'll definitely we'll do it right. So yeah, yeah. So you know, you said something about body image. I also, fuck man, this is such a this is such a thing because again, referring to and I'm not throwing them under the bus. It's where they are at in life. You know, these mm -hmm. early thirties coaches got to work out. You got to be jacked. I'm like, no, yeah, I, I get it. Like I'm an athlete. I get it. Mm -hmm. but that does not have to be tied to self-love. And I think that's really important, especially for guys our age or in their forties, or if you're air quotes unfit, dude, that doesn't mean you can't love yourself. Right. <laughs> well, no. And that's the it thing. Means that I... You might have some shame around not mm -hmm. having the self-discipline to work out. That's very different. That's mm -hmm. very different than loving yourself. Yeah. Agreed. I, yeah, because I, that's the thing is that I and I have health issues that result from not treating myself well. And, you know, again, I have to own that and I have to work on it and I have to do it for myself. I'm just very fortunate to be in a position to acknowledge it and be able to do something about it. You know, that that's one of the things I'm not I'm not in a hospital bed or anything like that. So uh, but yeah, I mean. I think that's one of those things though. I think that's almost a marketing thing with the, uh, with that younger generation about be, having to be fit because that's an easy fix. We'll, we'll get yourself in the gym. And again, that's another push through kind of thing. You feel like shit, just go to the gym, just do something. And th then you have something to, to, um, 
to build off of. I'm sorry. My robot keeps oh, hearing okay. me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you push through and all that kind of stuff. I still think that's that some of that programming where you, you're kind of pushing through, but granted being able to, um, you know, having good cardiovascular fitness and stuff like that is good for you. But you know what the reality is, is that you need to be able to breathe. That's, that's like number one. Um, in my job, we have a thing called combat breathing and it's quick breaths in for two, hold for two, out for two when you're in a stressful situation and, um, to get you through. And then a deep breath where you're like, Philip, I know Andrew Huberman talked about that too, where you take a deep breath in to where your lungs are packed full and then take one more gasp in and then let it out. And that just drops your stress levels like crazy. Yeah. It's a real quick meditation to do too. So, um, being able to breathe, let's, 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 let's get us, let's get her because there's times when you feel like shit and you don't even want to breathe, you know? Yeah. So I think, you know, I mean the Jack thing, like, don't get me wrong. It's so nuanced. And this is where I have found I've got to be at a certain stage in life to like wrap my head around this because I've seen coaches out there just shaming the shit out of people if they're overweight i'm like that's kind of like low vibe man like you don't understand actually what being a human's mm -hmm. about because yes we should air quotes and the second you say should that's shame-based be healthy should we be jacked right. that's not realistic like the amount of work and time it takes right. to get jacked is a lot can you live a healthy lifestyle? Mm -hmm. Yes. Can you love yourself no matter what you see in the mirror? Fuck yeah, you can. And that's why I say, if you've yeah. got kids, this makes more sense. There is no fucking mm -hmm. way I will take away love from my kids if they put on 20 or 30 pounds. Am I concerned right. for their well-being? Hell yeah. It's very different. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm passionate about this, as you can tell, because it's a missing, it, there's a missing component in there. You, you, you do create feelings of uh, euphoria when you work out. And it, I, I think people should. I know I mm -hmm. feel better when I hit my, my goals. For sure. It doesn't mean you can't love yourself through that time. Correct. Correct. Yeah. You, that's the God's honest truth right there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, we could talk for hours. <laughs> I want to like, I'm trying to keep these now to under an hour because I think we lose people's attention. So I want to ask you a couple like questions to kind of for close sure. it out. Okay. Yeah. What message do you have for a previous version of yourself? You know, that's a really good point because I th I think back to there's a, about a 10-year-old me, you know, like a 7, 8, 9, 10-year-old me, and then there's about an early 20s me. And when you say that, that's the first person I go to in that. Um, but I think the message is still the same is that the things that you love at that point, the things that you are, that are lighting you up, stick with them, man. Don't let anybody take that away from you because you're onto something. You're, you're, you, you know, everybody's telling you, you don't know any better because you're just a kid or you don't know any better just because you're, 
you know, a 19 year old, but those are the things that you love to do and stick with it and stay with that. That's what I, that's probably, um, yeah, that was probably the biggest message I'd have delivered to myself. So fucking love that. I agree <laughs> with you a hundred percent. Anything lasts is self betrayal, and unfortunately, society set up for us as men, especially, mm. not especially, I shouldn't say that in general, that you should betray yourself, and it doesn't no. work. No, it doesn't work. Agreed. What, what like closing words would you like for men that um, you would like? What point would you like them to take away from this podcast? Uh. I was not expecting that question. I was trying to, I was trying to read ahead in the book to get some answers, but uh, what I want every man to know from this podcast is that you are okay. As you are right now, you're good, man. And you have a lot of good qualities and things that make you unique. And that uniqueness adds to like the collective universe, as far as you are an important cog in the, in the wheel of the universe, because what you do, no one else does it like that. And you are awesome for it. And you should celebrate yourself for that fact. That's basically, that's, yeah. That's what I tell them. <laughs> Man, it's so amazing. You, you have this open-hearted wisdom, this connection with yourself that I can just feel it, man, through the screen. I've never Dude, met you in person. It. We'll remedy that one day. Yeah. But... Powerful, powerful. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your story and Thank some you for helpful me, points for other men. You bet. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm glad I reached out to you that one day. I'm glad I commented on your thing. So, <laughs> yeah, small world. Nothing's a coincidence. You landed here all. for a reason. You said yep. you wanted to help men. Yeah. Maybe this is the vehicle to do that. Yeah. And you know what? That's the thing. You can post my Instagram. And it's the same for TikTok too. If anybody wants to look me up too and, and ever want to reach out. So yeah, man, there. we'll available. do that in the show notes. Thanks for being here, Christopher. Thank you, Brandon. Appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time to be here today. I honestly hope you found something you can use in your life. And I hope you found some relief in knowing that you're not the only one with challenges. We can be very isolated as men. If you don't have support in your life, please reach out to someone. It's okay to need help. It doesn't mean that you're less of a man. In fact, it takes a courageous man to know when it's time to ask for guidance. Until next time, brother.